Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. Rather than approaching the Bible with our presuppositions, determining what we've already believed, finding evidence for it, going to the scriptures to find out what it believes so we know what they believe. We believe that the word of God is our authority. That is, it is inerrant in what it teaches, that it works in the hearts and the lives of those who believe. Our question, our first question today comes from our last study near the end. We were talking, I talked some at some point about nuances in the Christian life. And so she asked this question. It's from Vivian. She said, Pastor, you mentioned nuances in the Christian life. Can you explain what that means? How do I talk about it with someone? Couldn't figure out how to make it a double line. How to talk to it with someone. How do I talk about it with someone who believes the Bible has the answers for everything? All right, so thanks, Vivian, for your question. I really appreciate that. Um, A couple different things on it. Uh, First of all, let's talk about what nuance in the Christian life means. If someone is not nuanced, they are only black and white. They can't take the situations of a circumstance into account. They are so rigid in what they believe that they're not able and don't believe that there's anything that can change what is thought. My first real exposure as a pastor to someone who was not nuanced at all and couldn't take nuances happened very early on. Um, probably still in my 20s at the time, been pastoring for just a handful of years. And a woman in our church had been physically abused by her husband. He had hit her, he had threatened her, he was extremely angry. And so she came to us and asked what we should do. Now her and her husband were going to our church at the time. And so I told her, leave immediately. Called her husband and told him that we had encouraged her to leave. Now, when we told her to leave immediately, we said that this is a separation. Uh, I'm not telling you to divorce him, I'm telling you Uh, that you can separate from him because you don't have to live with a man who is physically abusing you. Called her husband, told him the same thing. Her husband went back to the church that he had gone to before. I think this was the church that he was brought up in. Um, I'm not gonna name the church, but they are, this whole denomination is much less nuanced than I'm gonna say Calvary Chapel is. That, um, and, and and the pastor called me and said, I can't believe that you told her to leave him. And I said, why wouldn't I tell her to leave him? She's being abused. And she says, Jesus said, the, he said, the only reason for, um, for divorce in the Bible is sexual immorality. And he's been faithful, so she cannot leave him. And I went on to say, e- not really. The Bible also says that if there is a separation, to remain single and then to be reconciled. And there are reasons for separation besides just sexual immorality. <clears throat> he just couldn't see it. He just kept going back to the passage that he was going on to. And I kept going back to the passage to say, what does it mean then if you do leave to remain single or to be reconciled? Now, we're both going by scriptures. He was going by what Jesus said and could not get past it. He was not nuanced enough at all to be able to go, well, there may be a reason why a woman has to leave her husband when there hasn't been sexual immorality. And um, I remember getting so frustrated with him that I said, why don't we make you move in with someone who beats you up and see if you don't change what you're thinking. I just, it just, I could not fathom that someone would think that a woman had to stay in that situation. I think um, an addictive personality or an ad- uh, um, some addiction, addictive behavior, let's go that route, that the guy is taking money out of the account, um, he's not worried about the children at all, he disappears for days at a time, is another reason that a woman could leave a man, even if she's got no evidence that there's been any unfaithfulness there. Which I always question, if a guy is gone for several days and then comes back and says, don't ask me where I was, it's like, eh, I don't know that you can claim that you haven't been involved with someone else. Now, now maybe they haven't. 
But that doesn't mean there isn't room for nuance in the situation. Now, when I say that there needs to be nuance in Christianity, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And in Romans chapter 14, uh, Paul talks about nuances in the Christian life. Um, I'll give you another thing, and this might hit a little bit closer to home because I think most of you guys are going to agree with me. If a man is physically hitting a woman, that woman can leave him, and there's nothing in the Bible that says that they can't. Um, let's just take a witchcraft, for example. So, we know that going to a witch is wrong. We know that going to a divine or someone who tells the future is wrong. We know that going to a psychic is wrong. Uh, we know that going to someone who contacts the dead is wrong. The Bible clearly states those things. So, then you have a witch in Snow White. So, someone who has no nuance is going to go, you're glorifying witchcraft. And you can't tell people that it's okay to go. And churches do this. Churches will, will say, you can't go to a movie that has a witch in it. You can't read the Harry Potter books. Now, the Harry Potter books have witches and warlocks in them, but they are not the witches and warlocks of the real world. The question is, and this, has been, this is where the nuance comes into play, are they glorifying it? And in fact, as I understand it, J.J. Rollins is a Christian who was writing Christian principles in the Harry Potter book, much like what C.S. Lewis was doing in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You've got a witch in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So, are you going to say you can't read the, the Harry Potter books? Or, 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 or Tolkien was doing in The Lord of the Rings. You've got all kinds of spells and different things that happen in the Lord of the Rings. There are certainly some people that are not nuanced enough in their Christianity to be able to go, look, by me watching Snow White, I'm by no means endorsing witchcraft, real, genuine witchcraft, or, and, and, and reading the Harry Potter books. I allowed my kids to read it. I read them myself. Um, there are others that I respect <clears throat> who decided they weren't going to let their kids read it and weren't going to read it themselves because it had witchcraft in it. Now, that's the nuance, and we have to really allow people to be able to have that nuance. If someone says to me, you can't read it because there's witchcraft in it, and I say, you've got to read it because uh, uh, if you don't do that, then, you know, whatever the reason is. No, I've got to live my convictions. And if I feel like it's okay for me to read the Harry Potter series and someone feels like it's okay for them not to read it, then that's fine. They can read it and not read it. Um, so, we get to Romans chapter 14 and here we have him dealing with the concept of something that is nuanced. He says, let me put it on the screen here for you, he says, right in the very beginning, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. So, when we talk about nuance in the Christian life, we're talking about doubtful things. And there's someone who is weak in the faith when you're talking about things that are doubtful. It says, for one believes he may eat all things, other believes he eats only vegetables. So, there's the nuanced. One guy says, we've got to eat just vegetables. The other guy says, look, we can eat all things. Now, now we're writing to the Romans. There might have been Jews that were in, in Rome, but he's writing to Christians who are in Rome. And they're determining, do I eat kosher things or don't I? And so, some were just like, we're just going to eat vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats. God has received him. In other words, we can be nuanced enough to go if somebody just wants to eat vegetables, and that's considered, considered the weak brethren. A lot of times, the person who, who says, um, I think that that you can't read a Harry Potter book. He sees himself as the strong person. But in reality, according to the passage, he's, the, he's got the weak conscience. He's the weaker brother. And we who are stronger want to bear with those who are weaker. He says, who are you to judge another man's servant? In other words, if I want to read the Harry Potter books, but I would never go to a psychic, I would never go to anybody cast a spell. I would never read my horoscope because those things are forbidden in Scripture, but I don't believe reading the Harry Potter book compromises that. Who are you to judge me? To his own master he stands or falls. 
Indeed, he will be able to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems a day above another. Another esteems every day alike. There's the difference. There's the nuance. You've got somebody serving God every day of the week. You've got somebody only serving God on Saturdays. It says that everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. You've got to live your convictions. And if you are convinced, convicted, that reading the Harry Potter book is sin, then don't read it. To you, it's sin. But to lay that conviction on someone else is a problem. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day does not observe it to the Lord. Um, he does not observe it. He who eats, he eats to the Lord. He who gives and gives thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks. For none of us lives and dies to himself. We have to consider those around us. And no one dies to himself. For even if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And we do what we do to the Lord. For to this end Christ died, rose again, that we might be Lord of both the living and the dead. So I'm going to come back to the beginning here, and I want to show you this one, this one verse here again. So it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not over disputeful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who, eat, who, who does not eat. So don't despise me if I chose to read the Harry Potter books. I believe there were some principles in it that were good. That I had heard that she was a Christian and she was writing them like C.S. Lewis was writing that. So don't despise me for that. And let him who does not eat judge the one who doesn't eat. And so I'm not to judge the person going, man, you just see evil everywhere and we're not being involved in that. You can do that. Let's talk about another nuance. We had a question. Um, it may have been from, I can't remember who it was from. But we had a question a while back about Halloween and allowing trunk or treat at our, we allow trunk or treat at our fall festival. And is that glorifying evil? And is that in any way glorifying to God? I believe that a child dressing up, when however they dress up, if it's a vampire, if it's a witch. Now, we ask people at the church not to dress up that way. But we also ask the people who are at the church not to judge people that dress up that way. So we're, we're kind of like, let's try to glorify Christ in what we do with the trunk or treats. But if somebody shows up dressed up like the devil or dressed up like, um, like a demon or dressed up like uh, a witch, let's bear with them. Let, and, and that's exactly what it says here. It says, for one who believes he may eat only things is weak. Let him who eats not despise him who does not eat. So you don't despise the person who feels like they have the freedom to do that. And let not him who eats judge the person who doesn't. And so don't run around judging people that allow them to dress like that because there's not anything clear cut one way or another in scripture. And so this is what nuance is in the Christian life. And it, and it runs through deep. There are a lot of nuances and a lot of different things. So someone who is fundamental in their believing will believe in the virgin birth, will believe, believe that the Bible is the inspiration of God, will be, believe that the Bible is our authority. That person is fundamental. Someone who is involved in fundamentalism and churches that are a part of fundamentalism will be very restrictive in what they believe and will judge people for what they're doing. You see this with fundamental Islam. You see that they have the things they believe and everybody else, they should be doing it. And so I've often said, I am a fundamental, I believe in the fundamentals of scriptures through and through. I just don't want to be that extreme fundamentalist who doesn't have any nuance in my life, who's not able to look at it and go and talk to people. That's why when someone calls and says, you know, should I leave my husband? I can't answer that question because there's nuance and we have to get into the nuances and that's only going to be done as you sit down with a counselor and go over the things that are there. So thank you, Vivi. Oh, the second part of the question was, what do I do? Let me get back to the question here. Second part of the question was, did I erase it? Oh, no. Can I get it back? Uh, let me see. I think I might be able to. Oh, I wanted to read your words exactly, Vivian. You know what? I've got it on my, um, I've got it on my phone. When I, I write down the question, um, I put it into notes so I could pick it up later on. So I've got it in notes. So let me just go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. There's Empress Kimberly's from last week. Um, Vivian, uh, so, so Vivian's second part of her question was, let me just get this moved down here. 
All right, so uh, the second part of Vivian's question was, well, there's Empress Kimberly still. Return, return, return. And done. All right, let's try that. Um, so the second part of the question is, how do I talk about that with someone who believes the Bible has, uh, has all the answers for everything? I believe, Vivian, that the Bible has all the answers for life and godliness. I'm just... I just have trouble answering that question the way that it is worded. I believe that the Bible has the questions for how to live the things that are nuanced. I believe we can go to passages that have examples of what's happened that we've got, we are prescribed through scripture, the way that we're supposed to live and the way that we're supposed to do things. And the Bible doesn't say that, um, uh, for example, if a woman is being beaten by a man, that she has to stay. So, someone who would claim that the Bible has to have the answers for everything, if they're going to say that it negates that, then I have a problem with that. If instead you go, it says, if you do leave, so there could be reasons why you leave, then you are to remain single or be reconciled. So, there are reasons to, to leave, and that's where the nuance comes into play. So, I would have trouble. I would probably fall into this category. I believe the Bible talks about and answers everything. I think that we can find almost everything that we we need direction for morally in the pages of Scripture. Now, I'm not going to find out how to operate on an arm in the Word of God, right? We're going to have to go somewhere else to be able to discover that. But that's not the kind of things um, that we are talking about. So, thank you very much, uh, Vivian, for your question. I really appreciate uh, being able to talk about nuance in the Christian life because I believe that so many are not nuanced and just can't grasp the idea of what it means. And so I talk about it on a regular basis. So good to see you guys here today. Good to have you with us. Um, looks like we just have YouTube today. I don't know why that happens and we don't get Facebook sometimes. Um, but, uh, you can't be watching this on, on YouTube for me to be able to t able to tell you that it's only YouTube. But um, we're gonna we're gonna be working on this and trying to get this figured out. Um, maybe it's that I didn't share it um, over to YouTube. Keith, you might go to the YouTube or um, Daniel, you might go to the YouTube page. Just click on this live and share it to to Facebook. I wish I had my computer with me. I could do it. Um, I don't think I'm I'm logged in on the studio computer, but anyway, um, and you might want to just let people know, Daniel, that are are logging on. They're only on Facebook on YouTube, so you can't really go unless you want to. You probably have access to um, Facebook. Go to Facebook and tell them we're live on YouTube, and that they can log on to YouTube to go there. For whatever reason, we're running into some problems. All right. So we have a question from Ron. Let me make sure that's the first question we've got here. Yeah, it looks like it. So we've got our first question from Rod. Rod, really good to see you. Rod says, um, Revelation 9.1, is Satan falling from the first or second heaven or the third? In Job, he is in the third heaven. In the New Testament, he is on earth and heaven. Where is he now? All right, so good question. The Paul said, I ascended up into the third heavens and I saw things that would have been illegal for me to be able to talk about. And so I'm going to tell you what I believe that the first, second, and third heavens are. Um, and I, and I, I, I think almost everyone has a consensus for this, except the, is it the Mormons who believe in seven heavens? Except the Mormons, they, they believe something that is radically different than this. So we're going to go to Revelation 9.1, and let's see, the locusts of the bottomless pit. Do we have the right verse here? Revelation 1, is Satan falling from the first or second heaven? I don't think we're in Revelation 1. Let me just read it here, though, and I'll try to find the right passage. Then the fifth angel sounded the star from heaven, fell to the earth, and was given the keys to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose. Um, so let me just go back to this page here. I'm going to try to find where um, Michael and his angels, well, you know, I'm just going to do it this way. Um, Rod, I, uh, Revelation 9.1 isn't the right um, reference. <clears throat> so in Revelation, it says, Michael and his angels 
fight against Satan and his angels. And Satan is defeated and thrown to the earth and he is angry because there is no more room found for him in heaven. So the question that we have is what does that mean? So I believe that the first heavens are is our atmosphere. It's where birds fly. It's where most planes fly. You get the Challenger and it goes up into what I would call the, sec the second heaven space. That's where the stars are. The stars and the planets are outside of our atmosphere. And the third heaven is spiritual. It's not beyond them. It may even be around us. We don't even know. It's another concept. Um, and we don't exactly know where that third heaven is. And so when the Bible, when Paul said, I was caught up into the third heaven, I believe that's what he was making a reference to, not the, um, not what other people might talk about what the third or fourth heaven is. So Satan is not cast down now, that's in the future. He will be cast down, he'll come down with great fury because he doesn't, he knows he has a little time left. Which answers another question that I think um, Keith's daughter, Maddie, asked, which is, does Satan know that he's going to be defeated? And because he's going to be cast down and, uh, and knows there's very little time left, I would say yes, he does know that he's going to be, re be defeated. Um, and then you ask, um, where is it? Where is he now? Satan has, I, he's the accuser of the brethren. I believe he has access to heaven. I believe that he can accuse us before the throne of God. Jesus is our advocate. And we are righteous because of him and our relationship with him. And I believe that he will be cast down to the earth one day and no longer have access up into the third heavens. I would also assume that God allows him access whenever God's going to allow him access. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Psych man, good to see you. Good to have you here with us. Um, Psych man says, Jesus always did that which pleased the Father. Other than being loving and obedient, what more thing that God wants everyone to learn and do that is very pleasing to him. Thank you, Mr. Robert. Thank you, Psych Man. I appreciate that. I think there's a lot we can do that is pleasing to the Father. I think that he wants us to be compassionate towards those who are in need. Jesus said, if you give a glass of water in my name, then you will not by no means lose their reward. I was thinking about that here a couple months ago, we had a record days above 110, was it? I think in a row, maybe it was, maybe it was just above 100. Um, but anyway, we had a record day and most of those days were around 110. And um, I passed by someone and they had a sign that said, uh, proving human kindness. And I didn't necessarily like the sign. I would just rather, much rather have had him had a sign that said, um, that said, you know, can you help? Something along those lines. Um, almost like a little bit manipulative, proving human kindness. Nevertheless, here's a guy standing on 110 degrees. And so I gave him a bottle of water. Hey, if you give a bottle of water in the name of Jesus, you won't by any means lose your reward. And so that's the case with, with people who are on the side of the road. And I think that we should be as compassionate towards homeless people, towards those that are, that are those who are in need. And we're seeing a lot of them now. We've got a lot of migrants that are in the United States and whether or not, I personally don't believe in an open border. I think that we should reach out and help migrants. I think we should reach out and help real migrants. I think we ought to figure out how to do that. But that doesn't mean that we aren't kind and loving towards those who are here. Um, Jesus and Mary were traveling because of a census that they had to go to. They went into Egypt. They found themselves as immigrants running, a running from a tyrant who wanted to kill them. And I hope the people were compassionate to him and to them. And then he wants us to be compassionate to them. In fact, Jesus went as far as to say, this is what Christians are going to do because the sheep and the goats, you know, uh, Keith Green pointed out the only thing that's different between the sheep and the goats is what they did and did not do. But the idea is that Christians are compassionate and help those who are in need. That's what Christians do. And we are beginning a practical Christian living foundation for Maui. Something that I've learned about our, uh, the practical, practical Christian living is the arm of our radio station, television program, ra uh, um, radio program, and the church 
that reaches out and helps other organizations to be able to do what they do more effectively. So we go by projects. So this will be um, oper- uh, Practical Christian Living Operation Maui. We come alongside, we're coming alongside of a church um, and we're coming alongside of Samaritan's Purse and we're going to collect funds for them. And the church is going to be very generous. They always are. Because when Christians know that there's a need and there are people that are in need, then they respond very quickly to them. For us, that's the way we feel God's led us to do it because Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are there, I think it's the King's, King's Church that we're coming alongside of there, um, they're already there. They're already reaching out and helping people. They need, they need the funds quickly to be able to get the stuff there. Samaritan's Purse gets the things there that need to be there, and we want to help them be able to do that. People respond really well to that at the church. Whereas when we see a guy standing on a street corner, we might not respond as well. And I used this in my sermon last week, Psych Man, that you got the rich young ruler. I mean, excuse me, you've got Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. And whatever that says about hell, let's put that aside. Let's think about what lesson we're learning from it. The rich man lives luxurious and the poor man sits at his gate hoping for crumbs to fall from his table and the dogs lick his sores. And then in hell, Jesus says to the rich man, you receive blessings on earth and he his hard times. Now he will receive his blessings and you your hard times. So is he teaching anything about heaven or hell or how to get to heaven or hell there? Or is this just a setting to say that this rich man was so wealthy and, and he had slack such compassion that he couldn't even help someone who was at his doorstep? And that God wants us to help people that are at our doorstep. Be able to reach out and help people that are struggling and facing difficulties. I believe that this is the case when we talk about the um, um, unborn babies. I believe solidly they are human. I believe that we still have slavery sanctioned and legal in the United States. That a mother owns that unborn baby. She can do whatever she wants to do with it. If she decides she wants to kill it and burn it, she would, she can whatever she wants to do with it. And I believe that that's a form of slavery. I believe that it's wrong. That's our state, though. That's our, our country. That state's now making those decisions. I believe we ought to come alongside of women that are in need as much as we can, helping them out any way that we can. When we find out that there's someone who's considering taking the life of a, a baby inside of their womb, I think we got to come alongside of them and say, what do you need? I'll help you in any way that I can. Not only do we want to save the baby, but we want to be able to have compassion on that person that is struggling. It's one of the reasons that I love Hands of Hope here in Tucson and what they do, because they're not only saving babies, they're also ministering to um, women that are in need. So these are the kind of things that I believe we're supposed to do. Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan. What did the Good Samaritan do? He didn't stop and help someone who was like him. He stopped and helped someone who was against him. And so we can do those kind of things. We can go out of our way to say, I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to help the needy. I'm going to help those who struggle. So I think those are the ways um, that we can always do the thing that pleases um, that pleases the Father, as well as just looking and being having our spirit sensitive so that when we're doing something wrong, um, God can speak to us. And we're, we're not Jesus, obviously, side man, so we're not always going to be able to do the things that please him. But I think there's a lot of things um, that we can do. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys being here. And I think we have Daniel uh, moderating for us today. So thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. Um, so we have a question from Brendan and Brendan says, um, have you heard Christ, um, heard Christus Victor as a model of atonement? It seems people like to see things that way to see it wasn't just about saved from God's wrath, but victory over the devil. Um... I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm trying to remember all of the aspects of Christus Victor um, and what the, again, nuances, and what the nuances are about it. Uh, it's just been so long since I even looked into it. There's a lot that I would say that is correct. But if I remember right, Brendan, there are some things also that I went back and went, I don't know if I could agree with that. 
So um, let me do a little bit of research on it. And uh, maybe Christus Victor will be the title of what we use for our next YouTube once I can go ahead and look back and refresh myself on it. All right? Um, uh, let's see. We have a question from Rod. That's uh, one we already looked at. Um, yeah, and he's still got Revelation 9.1. So I'm just interested and why sometimes things show up twice here. That adds to the confusion, and sorry if I ever miss one of your questions. Sometimes it's just a little bit confusing. As I said today, we seem to only have Facebook for whatever reason. Uh, we are trying to get that figured out. Um, so we have a question from Michaela, and if I butchered your name, I'm sorry. Um, question, I have some friends who are starting uh, to identify as Torah observant Christians. Can you elaborate more on what this means and if it's biblical or not? So it's um, it's not biblical. Uh, Paul in Galatians lays it out very clearly because there were people who were trying to lay further things on them and were trying to lay to get people to the, the Gentiles to go back under the law. And Paul writes, if, if the law can save you, then Christ died in vain. And it, it, there, there are very clear things in Galatians that help us to understand this. Now, there are some really radical groups. There are some less radical, root, radical groups who believe that we are supposed to keep uh, the Torah. And um, Jesus said, I have not come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so people say, well, then we should still keep it. No, because in fulfilling it, he meant to, com he meant to complete it. Why don't we have um, Malika? Uh, is it Malika? Malika? Yeah. Why don't we have Malika? Why don't we have a high priest today? Why don't we give sacrifices today? Because Jesus became our sacrifice, because he became our high priest. The reason I don't keep the Sabbath on Saturday is because Jesus is my Sabbath. I do keep the Sabbath by resting in him. Hebrews chapter 4, and Jesus, if any of you are weary, come unto me, and I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So to say you have to keep the law is to add something to Jesus, and that's exactly what they were doing in, um, in, in Acts, in Galatia. So Galatia is a region, okay? I'm trying to find something here. Uh, sorry, so a little distracted. Uh, so Galatia is a region. I can still see your question down here, Malika, all right? So Galatia is a region. And Paul and Peter had come up and they were eating food with the Gentiles who were there. And Paul was eating at the table of the Gentiles. He's eating unkosher food. And then when the brethren from James, these are the people in Jerusalem, show up, Paul withdraws and only eats with the with the the, the Jews and not with the Gentiles anymore. And Peter says, I withstood him to his face because he was wrong. And then eventually they go to Jerusalem with this very question. And we have the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, which is whether or not people are supposed to keep the law and whether or not you need people to get circumcised. Because remember, keeping the Torah is being circumcised as well. Now, as I said, some groups are, are, are will, will throw circumcision out of there. But you wonder, well, why would you do that? If the Torah tells you that you have to be circumcised, then why would you throw it out? You're picking and choosing. You're doing what we're doing, only you're just not going as far to say that we are not under the law at all. So let me put this on the screen for you. So this is the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. It says, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Let me see if I can get back to what the matter is. Um, let's go back to, let's go back to verse three. So being sent on their way, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through uh, Phoenicia, and Samaria describing the conversions of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy among the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders report all the things that God had done with them. But 
when some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses, that's the Torah, okay? Now, as the apostles and the elders came together and considered this matter, and when they had was much dispute, Peter rose up and said, men and brethren, you know that a, a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's Acts chapter 8. So God, who knows the hearts and acknowledges them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he had done for us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, what do you, um, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on their necks of the disciples, which neither our fathers were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in that time and manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered. This is the half-brother of Jesus, the head of the church in Jerusalem. Men and brethren, listen. Simon has declared how God at the first had visited the Gentiles to take them out of the people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. So James recognizes that this is for Gentiles. We're doing this for Gentiles. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord God, who does all things. So it goes back to the word of God to say it's given to the Gentiles. Now to God from eternity, all of his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble these among the Gentiles who are turning to God by that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from strangling and those things from blood. Now, as James writes these things to them, it, this doesn't mean that these are the things that God was wanting the Gentiles to keep. This is what they, in their culture, this is as far as they could go. Later on, um, Paul says, um, they wrote us to abstain from sexual immorality, the very thing we were happy to do. But uh, things to strangle from blood, it says, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in synagogues and every Sabbath. So they laid no further things on them. So the council, including all the apostles, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, all agreed that they were not to be Torah observant. So we can confidently go. What we see in Galatians, what we see in Hebrews, and um uh, we are going to do a teaching on this. We'll be in chapter 15 of the book of Acts within a few months. And I'm going to do a whole teaching on this where I go into Galatians. I'll go into all the passages that tell us that we are set free from this and that we do not have to keep those. What I would say to you, Malika, is do not let anyone put you under a yoke of bondage. You have been set free by Christ. You are not under the law, the Torah. You do not have to keep it. Biblically, it does not say so. And don't let these people do it. They're going to try. The, the scribes, the, the Judaizers and the legalists. The Judaizers were Jews who were trying to influence Gentiles to become Christians. The legalists were Gentiles who had been circumcised and were keeping the Torah, who were trying to make the, the Galatians, the people in the region of Galatia, keep the God, and they had done so, keep the Torah. And Paul said, I marvel that you so certain turn away from the truth for, for a, a, another gospel, which is not another. It's not a good news. They had already done it. And Paul rebukes them in the book of Galatians over that. I hope I don't have to read too much of this, but let me just go to Galatians. I just want to read you the first few words of Paul because these people had come to lay a burden on them um, over in, uh, in the region of the Galatia. And here, what this is what Paul says. And he doesn't have any small talk in this book. He gets right to it because these people, Paul says later on, these that trouble you, I, I wish they'd go all the way. He wants, he wants them to become eunuchs. That's what he means by that. So listen to what he says. He says, Paul, an apostle, not for men nor through God, but through Jesus Christ, our God, the Father, who raised him from the dead. To all the brethren who are with me, the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Shortest of all of the introductions Paul ever has. Now he gets to it. He says, I marvel that you are turning 
away so soon from him who called you to in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. It's not another good news. But there, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that's what these people are telling you have to keep the Torah doing. They're perverting the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach to you another gospel to you than what you have already heard, we have preached to you, let him be a curse. As we have said before, now say again, if anyone teaches another gospel to you that we have not received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Or if I, For if I still please men, would I be a bondservant of Christ? Okay? And um, if you read Galatians, you're going to get exactly, because he's fighting against the same exact people that, um, that you guys are fighting against, and that's the legalist here. Okay? So do not let them tell you that you have to keep the Torah, okay? It, it, it has an air of arrogance to it. Well, we're keeping the Torah and those other Christians aren't and they're supposed to keep the Torah. We're not keeping the Torah because we, are, we don't have to. We've not been told that we have to. All right, so thank you so much for asking this. Stay tuned for our study in Acts chapter 15 when we go over all of the pictures and clearly see um, what's here. So, um, a psych man, uh, let me see. Let me see how many other questions we've got, psych man. I think I'm just going to go ahead and take your question. We've got just YouTube today. We usually do one question per person per show. I think we already answered one. Maybe I'm wrong, psych man. If I am, sorry. Um, no, that's what you asked. I don't know why that shows up twice on my thing, but it does. Questions sometimes show up twice on my feed which is annoying me, all right? So thank you very much for your question. Um, all right. Um, all right, so uh, we have a question, uh, a couple more questions here. We got a question from Jari. Good to see you guys, by the way, that are joining us on YouTube today. Um, so question, during the millennial kingdom and the flood conditions, did it take longer for a human to grow as it does a reptile or is it symbolic still able to have children and youthful at 100 years old? Thanks, Jari, I appreciate that. So we did our millennium teaching this last week, last Wednesday night, as I said I was going to do, and answer questions about the millennium. So we would never have any more questions about the millennium, and here we have them. No, I'm, I'm happy to take them. Um, so the millennium period is when Christ returns to this earth at the end of the tribulation period. I pre-trib millennial, most evangelical Christians are. It's the oldest of the positions. All millennial, post-millennial are newer than that. Uh, they're problematic in my view of things. So Jesus is going to come back after the tribulation period. He's going to raise those who have died from the dead and they are going to have resurrected bodies. Those who are alive on the earth, Jews and Gentiles, either children of the ungodly or children and adults of the godly who are able to hide and escape themselves, they are going to populate the earth. We are going to rule and reign with Christ. And at that time, there's going to be a lot of things that the, that the millennial is like, a lot of characteristics of the millennium. I covered them um, last week. And let me just see if I can pull up my notes on this phone here for that study, and I can cover a little bit of what the millennium is going to be like. Um, pretty small here. Let's see if, um, let's see what we pull up here. Um, so Revelation 20, maybe this is it. Let me see. Answering questions about the millennium. Yeah, it's just so tiny. So let me just go here. I'm going to see how big it is on the screen and we'll take a look at it. Oh, uh, it's a little bit bigger on the screen. Um, so the characteristics of the millennium were a time of peace, a time of safety, a time of worshiping Christ in Jerusalem, a time of people living longer. So there's our passage. So I'm just going to see if I can blow this up and we can read it, okay? It says, it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations who came against Jerusalem shall go up from 
year to year. Oh no, I'm, I'm reading the wrong one. Okay, here we go. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Okay, so yeah, the child will die at 100 years old. So it seems like they've gone back to the antediluvian period. Um, uh, Jari. The antediluvian period is the time before the flood when men lived to be about 900 years. And it seems during the millennium, and this is going to allow people to have many more babies uh, during the millennium, and the millennium is going to multiply much faster than what it would if people died younger. So, um, women are going to be able to give birth to far more children because their, their birth age is going to be far more, and them at a certain age are going to be able to give birth to far more children, and there will be many more people on the earth. And of course, we don't know what the number starts with in the very beginning, and then we assume that they are going to be multiplying. So, yeah, I would say it looks like they're going to live to around 900 years. That would be my best guess, okay? I'll maybe slightly off in one direction or another on that, but that's what it looks like, okay? So, Matthew has a question. Matthew says, uh, question, Pastor Robert. I had a frank conversation with some relatives on um, reading horror comic books and had to catch myself and read Romans 2.4. Can you help me out with that? Um, Matthew, I'm not sure what the horror comic books are. <laughs> I haven't read any horror, horror comic books. So I'm probably going to have to pass somewhat on this because I don't know if the, the, com the horror comic books go beyond what might be, you know, the gray area or the nuanced area and into something that isn't just nuanced. Um, as far as, let's just go to, let's just go to horror movies. Horror movies are classically filled with things that we as Christians don't want to watch. Um, I, I don't want to watch somebody getting chopped up or killed or tortured. Um, that's not my desire. So I'm not tempted with that area at all. Is it right or wrong for someone to watch a movie where that happens? I don't know. Um, um, so I'm just going to say you probably should go back to Romans 2.4. And if, let's just, you know, if we talk a little bit more about nuance, Matthew, and we talk about... Um, someone who watches a movie that has some some um, people partying in a bar. You got an alcoholic who watches it with you. And that alcoholic leaves your home, says goodbye, and then goes to a bar to party because seeing that partying situation caused him to want that kind of lifestyle again where you watched it and it didn't do that at all. But where he watched it, that's what it led him into. Now, if I learned that that had happened, the next time that I saw him, I would, I would not watch anything that had anything like that in it. Because I know that for me, it's okay. For him, it wasn't okay. Now, people are gonna use this as an example. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of this. When I was a kid, so 20, I say kid, 21 years old, um, I was still living at home, but I was really good friends with four guys that lived together. One of them had gone to a movie called Teen Lust. This is back in, this is back in uh, the, uh, probably uh, 2000, uh, 1980. This is back in 1980. And, um, and we were like, you did what? And he was like, yeah, I went to a movie called Teen Lust. Look, I don't have a problem with lust, so I can go to a movie like that. It doesn't bother me. But here's the thing. Someone that doesn't have a problem with teen lust, with lust in general, is probably not going to go to the movie because the movie's only going to appeal to you if you are, have lust. And so we kind of pointed that out to him, that you probably do have a problem and you're using the excuse of, I don't have a problem with this to be able to watch this. So if someone's watching... Um, or, or watching a, um, reading a, uh, a, 
comic book. I'm on the wrong. I'm in the wrong. I'm at the wrong one, aren't I? Matthew. So if I if someone's reading a comic book, and it is glorifying things that you have a problem with, then I think that we could come back and go. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that because we want to be wise. Don't give place to the devil. And the guy that was the alcoholic that watched the scene of somebody at a club and then decided they wanted to go to a club wasn't being wise. He gave place to the enemy because he had that in his past. It bothered him. The same thing may be true with someone with cocaine. I've never used cocaine, so I might not have a problem with it. I'm watching a show and someone's using cocaine, no big deal. Someone watching it with cocaine might be drawn into it. So we've got to be wise when we're talking about it. That has to be included in the concepts of the nuance. But because I don't know horror comic books, didn't even know that they really existed, okay? Um, I, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. All right. Um, sorry. So we do have a question uh, from Live Phoenix. Um, is it wrong to pray for justice? I would just think as a, as a larger question, first of all, is it wrong to pray for justice? Never. Okay, ne never wrong to pray for justice. Good, good thing to pray for. The other day I saw a news channel of what the Indian government is doing to Christians. Though I pray they find Jesus, I also feel like praying for justice. So when you say Indian government, you're talking about India government and not a reservation government. So just a little bit of confusion as to exactly what you're talking about. Um, what, what's the Indian government doing to Christians? I don't even know. So, yeah, you pray for justice for the Christians, yeah, and that are being mis mistreated, certainly. And you pray that God would reveal it. And, um, yeah, it's always good to pray for, pray for justice. God's just. And he's always going to be just all the way to the end. All right. If you have a follow through with that, and I kind of missed the heart of your question. You can give me a little bit more direction. Uh, I appreciate that. So um, we have a question from Deidre. Deidre says, hi, Pastor. On Wednesdays, I think I heard you say that we should not offer our hand in fellowship with Mormons. Yes, I did. What does that mean? And I'm, I'm glad you asked for clarification on that. Do we have friendships, work relationships? Thank you. Thank you, Deidre. I appreciate that. So what I said was, if someone's all-millennial, post-millennial, or pre-millennial, this is what they believe about eschatology, but they are they believe in the, the power of the cross. They believe Jesus was born of a virgin. They believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They believe in the authority of Scripture. Um, they just come to those different conclusions because of the way that they look at Scripture. There's no reason for me not to offer them the hand of fellowship. This means I see him as a brother in Christ. I'm excited to see him. I pray with him. I talk with him. I'm encouraged by them. I have a relationship with them. If I'm sitting down at lunch with them, I'm going to be talking to them about my Christian life and what I'm going through and what they're going through. Scripture is going to be shared. That's going to be helpful. Okay. Um, we may get into the area we disagree on, which I'm, I'm, I love to do anyway. I do like to get into it. I just don't want to argue about it. So, because the Bible says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be able to teach. And so, if you want to argue about it, I'm out. But if you want to talk about it, I'm willing to talk about it because I want to know what the truth is. And I've seen something wrong. I want to know what that is. And the way we can tell whether we're arguing or talking, when a person says, oh, well, I see why, what you see there, but I'm not, I don't see that. If you're arguing, you're like, you got to see it. Look at what it is. That's arguing. But if you're willing to go, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I just wanted to share that with you, then that's all, all good, okay? If you're demanding, I'm right and you're wrong, that's the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be able to teach. Now, the right hand of fellowship, that term is for believers. A Mormon believes that Elohim was a human on another planet and that Elohim and mother whoever from Mormonism had sex to have spirit babies that populated the earth. They do not believe in the deity of Jesus. They will tell you, and they're misleading when they do. Jesus is God. We believe Jesus is God. You believe Jesus progressed to God, that he was a person who progressed to God. You also believe Satan is his brother. And, and people say, well, everybody in Mormonism is brothers and sisters because we're all spiritual babies of father and mother, heaven. Okay, yes, but Jesus and Satan excelled beyond everybody else, okay? So that's what you're leaving out when you say something like that. 
And so then you have Jesus as God, but he's the son of Elohim and um, the mother, whatever, who have had sex to have Jesus as a spirit baby. And then Jesus progressed to be God. And you too can progress to be in heaven as well. They don't believe in salvation the same way we do. They aren't serving the same Jesus like that, that we do. And so I can't give them the hand of fellowship. That doesn't mean I can't be friends with them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'm not going to sit down and talk with them about the things of Christ. They're not a brother or sister in the Lord. They believe other things that are aberrant to Christianity. They are not Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses is the same thing. They are aberrant to Christianity. I can't give them the right hand of fellowship. That doesn't mean I ignore them. It doesn't mean I'm mean to them. It doesn't mean that I don't go uh, to a wedding and a family member who's in Mormonism um, and, 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 you know, and support their marriage. I can support their marriage without giving the right hand of fellowship to the people who are doing the ceremony. We live in a world today, the United States especially, you can be married by a dog and your marriage will stick. Okay, so, you know, um, that's what the right hand of fellowship means. Um, so I don't give my right hand of fellowship to Mormon Jehovah Witnesses, people in the New Age, people in progressive Christianity, but I do to those who are um, post-millennialist, all-millennialist, and pre-millennialist. All right, thank you, uh, uh, Deidre. I appreciate that. And that's exactly why we have these Q&As. This is the purpose for these Q&As, as a supplement to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of Tucson. All right, we've got three minutes left, so we're coming close to the end here. Uh, we have a question from Empress Kimberly. Follow-up, discussing freedom and nuances. I always called that walking in love. What may not make me stumble could make others stumble. I always find it funny that someone 300 pounds um, uh, points out my smoking. Okay, yeah, so here's where, here's where we can, can get into trouble in interpreting someone's weakness. So, if someone who is 300 pounds says, you shouldn't be smoking, it, the, obviously, we're kind of going, there's some hypocrisy here because you shouldn't be having gluttony. And so, there's, there's, a, there's a problem with both of those. I would also say that smoking ends up leading to health conditions that God doesn't want you doing. But I'm not going to judge you and say you're not a Christian because you smoke, and I'm not going to judge a 300-pound Christian because they're 300 pounds. Instead, I might encourage them I might, you know, that, that may be the case. But we have people at our church who will go to church and then they walk out the door and they light up a cigarette and walk to their car. I see them and shake their hand every week. They, they sit in a place where I come in and get ready to teach. I shake their hand every week. So walking in love means that even though you may have a stronghold or an area in your life that isn't the best for you, that I'm not going to judge you because of that. Because someone weighing 300 pounds could still be a Christian. I mean, he is a Christian. Someone who's smoking is a Christian. And there are far more things that God cares about than, than smoking. Now, both are unhealthy. Both can shorten a life. And so, maybe we ought to consider those things when we're looking at them. Is there behavior that we're doing that could end up shortening our life? All right, but I agree with you. Um, so we got the second one here from Deidre. It's funny how they come through. So, um, Jari has a second question here. This may be our last question. Um, question follow-up. If Satan has accused uh, access to heaven currently, do the demons have access to heaven? As well as Satan, command them to go, cause sickness and possibly tempt, etc. while he is accusing the brethren. Um, I assume yes. But, you know, I, I don't know for sure. But my assumption is, yes, that that, that that is the case. So let me take Psychman's question here. And sorry for any of you guys that gave questions. I'll take a look at them. Kimberly, I see your question there. Um, down a little bit further. We got a couple other questions, do we? Let's see. Yeah, gosh, we had um Okay, I'll take a look at these questions um, when Daniel sends me the log for this. I just wish I could go back and look on... Uh, the video, but I, I seem to have trouble being able to, to pinpoint certain things on the video. So let me see. Psych man, did I pass your question again? I went look at now. I lost. Um, I lost your question. 
All right, let me um, well, let me go back up here and see if I can find it. I went down much further than I thought. All right. Um, Ah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All right, follow up. Psychman, here we go. So Psychman says, um, it's good to see you guys. Good to have you all with us here, by the way. Psychman says, follow up. I was thinking, learning to trust God, like the Israelites about have to learn after Moses led them from captivity, but spent 40 years in the desert because they just didn't trust him. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what that's a follow up to, Psychman. Um, but yeah, it was more than just not trusting Moses, right? It was, yeah, it was just trusting God, and maybe they, by him you mean God. They just didn't trust God. They didn't believe. They didn't believe that God was going to deliver them the land God said he was going to deliver to them. Go to the land. I'll take it. I'll take care of you. I'll fight for you. I go to the land. They were like, no, we're not going to go. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's going to happen. So that was disbelief. That disbelief caused them to wander in the wilderness. So when God gives us promises and we just go, I don't believe it. Like I love where the passage says, no temptation is overtaking you, but is, um, that is common to man, but God will provide a way of escape. And I love to look for that way of escape. When I find that way of escape, I love that. And we all should try to find that kind of escape. But if somebody says, I'm just going to sin because I don't see the way of escape, you're just not believing God. You're not trusting God. Now, it's like, man, because I'm not familiar with what a follow up on that was. I might even be getting into the area that you were in, but I'm out of time. I got to go. Um, we got a service here in about an hour. Um, we're going to be talking about a true conversion, just opposed against a false conversion of Simon. We get Paul's conversion in chapter 9. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, at least in part. We'll take his conversion in a few weeks, uh, but we're going to be looking at um, Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion. Um, God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Um, love you, uh, walk in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, delight in the Lord, and you, God will give you the desires of your heart, abide in the vine, let his word abide in you. These are all positive things that we can do to make sure that we're staying as close to Jesus as we possibly can. All right, love you guys. I'm out. We will see you um, next Wednesday for our Q&A, Lord willing, and for our study in the book of Revelation.